Welcome back, you fucking weirdos, to RMP. I'm Zachary, your host of this motherfucking podcast. You can catch me on Instagram at the Muscle Hamster. And we're here to question the mess, make some rebel actions, and start living life on our own terms. We have so many things to question. Um, but first, I would like to admit a, a fault in my character. And I know that secrets don't make friends. And I know that, you know, coming from a quote-unquote mid-pack athlete, you know, the, the art, hardcore training that I put myself through and the regimen and the discipline, I, I do tend to come off the rails a little bit and it's time to fess up. And I just want you guys to know that for the last couple of years, I will overly stress and I will go to my local grocery store and I will buy these foreign dollar forty nine flavored wafer cookies and I will eat the whole pack and I know it's shameful but they come in lemon and chocolate and vanilla vanilla being the best and they are hundreds of calories for one little pack but a dollar 49 they were the nicest little treat <laughs> that I could get for cheap and not feel bad about the money that I'm using. But the problem is I'm still putting in some nasty calories. I think it was like 360 calories for a pack and there was like three servings in it. So maybe not horrible. It's better than binging a few thousand calories, which I've done many times before. But uh, yeah, I figured it was time to, time to fess up. But also liquid death is one of my new favorite things. And you know, at 20 calories a can, I am not ashamed of it. And maybe it's the skull that's on the front. Maybe it's the name of the brand. Maybe it's their flavor names. Bury it alive, severed lime. Yeah, um, I like them. And they make me not feel bad about myself. And for some reason, I like carbonated water. I don't get it. But um, to bring more to the podcast... Uh, I, I brought in another admirable, or at least by my standards, super admirable athlete, um, also a trainer. And it seems that we're getting on to a little bit of a theme here. And I'm wondering what it is about my own mind that makes me ask the, these people for their stories and for their guest spots on the podcast. And I want, I think that I want people to realize the number one the power of individuality and the power of making decisions for ourselves and the power of diversity but also questioning how it is that they see other humans because what I'm finding in other humans which comes straight from my own just blatant curiosity and this this knack for wanting to not objectify people, I'm finding great beauty in mind, body, and spirit with people. And I I need to have more conversations and I, I'm I'm 
looking to figure out how I can create more conversations and have more guests and bring more diversity to the podcast. And, uh, you know, I have my own issues of why why that hasn't come to be. I, I am a creator, but I, I do struggle with business decisions and networking and, and communication, oddly enough, which very odd it's 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 very odd because i'm a i claim to be a communicator but anyways i want to introduce you to this next guest that told an an amazing story and she will be back for 2.0 because we are going to get into the technicality and the specifics of her as a trainer and being a i think she's a dietitian or nutritionist one of the two one of the, is she, oh man Oh man, I'm confusing things. But she's she's very smart. She's had a crazy, crazy story. And she's been through so many different types of athletics. She's been through uh, body dysmorphia things. She's been through a lot of mental anguish things with her story and her athletics and the, the, the athletic world that she's been through. And she's... She's crossed so many different realms of what athlete means, and she's dealt with dealt with injury, and she's, you know, tapped into this balance of being human and being an athlete. And there's so much more to being an athlete than I think some people understand. I think that some people are that are on the outside don't realize what athletes tend to go through, what that training is like for them what that does for them I think that people don't also realize the what it creates for the mental and emotional state as well and so before I get too carried away and down this philosophical path I want you guys to listen to this next guest she's super fantastic and uh let me read off her bio this is going to be coming from her perspective, and I'm going to read it off for you. Here it is. Jen says, although I came from a rocky start, fitness has been my passion for many years. I was an athlete as a child, and I was a gymnast for eight years, and that is a sport that stole my heart. I also played soccer, outdoor hockey, and pitched for a baseball team. During high school, I put my athletics aside as I struggled to find out who I was. It wasn't until after high school I picked it back up and started my journey into the fitness world. Starting as a runner slash yogi and making my way all the way to bodybuilding and strongman competitions. Fitness has taken up a lot of my hobbies, but I also enjoy the outdoors, spending time with my family, learning, and gaming. Fitness truly saved my life, and that is why I work so hard to help others learn more about themselves and unlock their potential inside and outside the gym. So, without giving too much more away, this is episode 101 of the RMP with Jennifer so I, I was I was definitely thinking I was like Jennifer's got this vibe of balance and obviously I was first thinking you know physical because you you you're so much like so across the board with all this stuff like everything that that pertains to physical health um but eventually there's there's an outlet that connects it to mental and emotional health too in my opinion let's let's make sure everybody knows who you are so, and then we'll kind of get into your story a little bit, but, uh, what is it that you do? Let everybody know why you are as smart as you are, Jen and go. Um, 
so I am a personal trainer. I've been a personal trainer since 2013. Um, I love fitness. And for me, the biggest thing that drove me to be a trainer is that it, um, it truly changed my life. And mm -hmm. so for me, it was me going into it saying, if I could change one person's life and one person's mental state, that's, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I became a personal trainer and I am one of those people who likes to have all the answers. So I studied, I studied and I studied and I studied, I was working a different job when I was um, doing my certification, but I was on the computer 24 seven studying nutrition and studying workouts and the most efficient ways, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I also like to pursue new certifications because fitness and what we're learning in the fitness industry is changing rapidly. Yeah, um, constantly. and so, yeah. So continuing your education is extremely important. I think for you to be able to be a successful trainer, not only for yourself, but for the client, I think the client deserves to have the best information that we mm -hmm. have available to us. Um, and so, yeah, I basically spent a lot of time educating myself in order so I can educate my clients. Yeah, no. And I, I think that, with anything that you're going to do, you have to be able to, you have to be willing to dive into it. And I think that's one of the separations between figuring out who you are and then figuring out just something that's going to be sustainable, you know, maybe something that's not necessarily a dream or um, a passion. And I think people have a hard time in between those two things trying to figure it out. And I think it takes a lot of trial and error. I've been through so much shit in the last five years trying to figure out what exactly I'm supposed to do. But um, I can tell because of the way that you're you're constantly talking about these things and obviously the way you're built. I'm going to make sure that people can get some pictures of you because you're a fucking beast. And <laughs> um, like it's it's one of those it's one of those uh, what do you call them? The, it, it messes with your mind a little bit because you're you're so well built, you know, and it, it almost looks like you're a six foot human. But you're actually I'm, what, like, like five foot? I'm four eleven. Four eleven. That's fucking amazing, amazing. Um, so, do you think that there was a catalyst that got you to get into fitness? Like, what was there? Was there any sort of trauma or experience or anything that like really made you push towards this, or is this like just a just an instinctive, innate, you know, desire for for this type of thing? Um, well, so I was an athlete when I was a kid. Um, I was a gymnast for eight years. I played soccer. I was like, my persona as a kid was like, I was like this hardcore neighborhood girl that led the boys. That was my persona as a child. And that has always been kind of who I am. Um, and I let that kind of fall away in high school, just going through, like, I didn't really have a very good home life growing up and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I battled with like my self-esteem a lot. Um, and, um, I kind of disappeared for a little while and I didn't do anything and I didn't feel good about myself. And about when I was like 19 years old, I, I, I can still remember looking at myself in the mirror one time and just being like, I don't, I don't like this. Like, I didn't like the way that I looked. I didn't like the way that I felt. I didn't like what I was doing. I just, I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So I started running and like doing, you know, workout videos and whatever, it's whatever I could get my hands on. 
Um, and that's when I really started studying the fitness thing too, because again, I want to be the best at whatever I do. And um, I fell in love really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, at first for me though, it was, and I know this now, at first for me though, it was largely uh, a mental health thing. It was, I was struggling with my mental health a lot. And so I was chasing workout highs because mm-hmm. I was getting endorphins. I was getting serotonin. Like that's kind of where the addiction started was for me to like fix my mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, um, I actually was just like working out at my local rec center and I, I built pretty easily just because of my past in mm-hmm. athletics and the, owner of the gym floor, she came up to me one day and she was like, Hey, like a lot of people ask if you're a trainer, if you get certified, I'll hire you. Oh, boom. And I was like, Opportunity. Okay. Um, and so she, she told me to do the NASA certification and I said, okay. And I got it done within a few months and, um, I started working with people and honestly, I fell in love with it from the very, very start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and so this is this is something that is so intriguing to me because we can get so inside of our own story and it's inside of our own world, right? And the the conversation with yourself is always going to be the most influential. You know, um, and the the in my opinion, the point of having having a supportive community is to help maintain that voice and help you uh, <laughs> make sure that that voice is healthy. But the way that you talk to yourself is going to be the thing that gets you to act on things, right? And so, was it uh, before you actually made this made this jump? So, were you a gymnast as an adolescent? Okay. 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 So, so at some point something, go ahead. Yeah. I had quit when I was about 13 and it was honestly Uh because my parents, I was traveling and like training six hours a day Oh wow! and it was like my parents couldn't afford it. And they thought it was interrupting my school. Mm. And so they made me quit and it killed me. And I think it killed me because my dream was to go to the the Olympics. Like I was actually a really good gymnast, but um, so I think that's kind of killed the fire inside of me for a little mm. while. Um, well, yeah. And then if you lose something like that, because if, if it's, if it's that early on that you have a connection to something like that, and then you lose it, you're also 13 and you don't have the the knowledge or, or, or base yet of what it takes to maintain mental health and how important that is and to like continue to fight for something. Right. And so you all of a yeah. sudden lose the one thing that is most important to you probably and where do you go from there and so it sounds like you kind of went off a, a an edge a little bit and kind of lost your identity almost yep yeah yeah oh yeah. definitely so there had to have been so much change between then and 19 like body changes mental changes emotional changes especially because you're already a fucking teenager that's hormonal as hell just like the rest of us you yeah know? so yeah. and then at some point you you came back and was it just you being fed up i think it was part of that but if you want me to be completely honest with you um 
I always will say that I think a part of it has to do with like my dad. So Mm. I didn't have a good relationship with him and he wasn't very nice to me. Um, But I will tell you that the one thing that my dad was always proud of me for was my athletic ability. So like when we would go to parties and things like that, he would brag because I could a hundred percent be any of their kids there, male, female, didn't matter. <laughs> like <laughs> Alpha male. And so that was the one Alpha thing. Alpha female, that, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that was like the one thing that like uh I just I tied my self-worth to, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess. Um, and so, and I didn't know that as much until I started competing in bodybuilding, because I remember when I competed in bodybuilding, I had this really hard time. Um, uh, so like my dad's not in my life anymore. I haven't talked to him in like 12 or 13 years. And I just remember, um, every single day being upset because I wanted him to know that I became a pro athlete. Like, I just want him to know that I was successful. Like, Mm -hmm. just please let him know that find me on the internet and see that I was successful as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Like that was always something that went through my head every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I always tell people, I know that that's always been in the back of my mind, like literally from day one. Um, but it was also just, but, but the, 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 the catalyst I think really was just me being tired of my own shit and knowing that I, I, I had more in me, mm-hmm. like looking in the mirror and being like, this isn't, this isn't who I am and Mm -hmm. I need to find that. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's, I mean, I I think the cool thing is that we can decide on how we have a perspective on something, right? It can be a positive or a negative. And, you know, you could have definitely looked back. You could look back at that and say, Hey, what if I would have gone in the other direction? Like, where would I be? Like, even if it was, if, even if the catalyst, you know, was a, an emotional thing or a negative thing, like it still pushed you forward in a good direction comparatively to what it could have been. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so once you, at that point, when someone's like, Hey, maybe you should be a trainer, where do you go from here? Because I'm kind of, I kind of generally know what you've gone through now, but I want everybody else to know what you've gone through. Um, so you, you've cross trained a lot. I have. So do you want to know more about the side of like the personal training side or my personal fitness side? Well, I kind of want to know, I kind of want to know both. Um, okay. and, um, but I, I, I want people to, to see how colorful you've been through through all of this stuff because i know the athletics that you've been in just by kind of scoping you out and everything and i think it'll help people give a little bit of relatability so what did you do because i know you started competing in a bunch of different things um so so where did things go after you started to get uh really 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 back into physical fitness so the funny thing is i actually started out out running (laughs) you're a runner I ran half marathons. Yeah. Oh man. Even that's hard. Um, which sounds horrible now. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me about but, it. But um, I did, I, and I was training for Roby Creek because that was oh, yeah, my, a hard one. my last like hurrah of like, if I beat this, you know, whatever. Um, and so, and I was overtraining, you know, how that is. But, As we do. Um, Cause I was running probably 
between eight and 12 miles a day just because I like wow. to. Um, and so, and I weighed like a hundred pounds then, like I was little. Um, and I tore my hip flexor. I was sprinting hills mm-hmm. and I tore my hip flexor and I continued to run it for a few weeks. Um, and then I remember one day I came home and I sat down on the couch and I tried to stand back up and my leg just completely collapsed out from under me. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> oh. Oh, that I hurts like, to even damn think it, about. I have to do something about this now because I had been like ibuprofening it, it, you know, running, whatever. Um, and then when I obviously went to go see the doctor, they were like, yeah, this has been like bleeding for weeks. Like, why? What are you doing? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so scared for you right now. So, <laughs> um, so then they were like, yeah, you're not going to be running or doing anything like that anytime soon. Blah, blah, blah. I would see. I was super devastated. But here's what I did. I went to the gym on my crutches and I started lifting weights. Um, I did not lift weights previously to that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just started doing upper body. I was bro lifting. I was benching, doing curls, doing shoulders. And that's pretty much all I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did that for a while. And um, I loved it. You know, I fell in love with it because I get strong pretty fast. And so I, I became the alpha female of the <laughs> pretty fast. Yeah. The first time um, I saw you, I'm going to be, I was legit scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people got to have that initial response to me. Um, so then from there, I ended up, um, moving away because I had uh, gotten married and my husband was in the military and we were living in Everett, Washington because he was on the USS Nimitz. And I trained out there for a little while. Um, And then I came back here, started working at Axiom in about 2000, the end of 2015. And started training clients there. And the thing that got me into the body, but well, and when I, during that time I was doing like sports agility. So I was doing some lifting, but mm-hmm. by the time I was at Axiom, like I love circuit training. Like I'm an evil circuit training person. How dare My you? clients, <laughs> they don't give me too much caffeine because they might do a circuit and they might hate me. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so like box jumps, you know, burpee box jumps, give me all the push presses, whatever, make me run. I don't care. Love it. Um, but anyway, so I started training clients there and I had this conversation with the client at one point and she was like, well, you don't know what it's like to have to lose 30 pounds. You've never had diet. You don't know how to do this and that, whatever. And I had a boss who did bodybuilding shows and stuff like that. So I said, you know what? All right, bet let's lose 30 pounds, you know, cause that's about what I was going to have to lose to get on stage. So, oh my God, here we go. I, I was like, all right, I'll, I can, I will show you that it is a hundred percent possible to be disciplined if you want it. And, and so at this point, were you, were you already getting ready to prep for bodybuilding or was this kind of like this thing of like, you're just going to do it to prove a point? I was proving a point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Continue. So I, um, 
did it myself the first time. Mm-hmm. Programming about, and nutrition. Yeah. In about 12 weeks or 10 or 12 weeks and got on stage. Uh, I, I still placed first um, call outs or whatever, but it was kind of like, Meh. I saw the girls there when I got to the bodybuilding show and I saw the girls there, I was like, okay, all right, this is this. Okay. Like I can do this. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously I didn't place quite as well as I wanted to. So I was, but I was like, I could do better. I could yeah. do better. Um, and I'm going to tell you right now that my clients watching me do that show motivated a lot of them. Good. Because oh, they yeah. sat there and they watched me do my cardio, eat everything that I was supposed to eat. I was 100% on point at all times. I was sleeping when I was supposed to, was getting up when I was supposed to. You know, if you want it, you go and you get it. Um, so anyways, but that was my first experience with stage, you know, and, um, but then, you know, being the, having the athlete inside of me being me being like, well, I can do better than this, mm-hmm. you know, I could get first. Um, so then I had a friend, her name's Christy Higgs. She actually, um, runs a program called girl hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had, She's done a really nice job, but uh, her coach was Damien Segovia of Pro Physiques. If you know anything about Damien Segovia, which you probably don't because he's not a social media person, um, he trains like Sydney Gillian, who is five times Miss um, Olympia in figure, and then Whitney Jones, who is three times Miss Olympia in fitness. Gotcha. So he's got a big wig, right? So mm-hmm. she told me, hey, listen, this is my coach. I think if you get a coach, you'd be really good. That much better, right? I said, all right. You know, and she's like, it's just he only accepts certain clients. I was like, okay. So I sent him pictures from my show and he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got potential. He And he's like um, a very blunt, like, person. So he's like, yeah, forward. that suit didn't fit you. Your makeup was hideous. Your tan was wrong, but we can fix it. <laughs> he was like, I can fix it. Don't yeah, but worry. it's like no bullshit. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no nuance. It's just like straight to the point. Get the fix. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and I always tell people the first like year or two that he trained me, um, I thought he hated me because Damien is like a no, no words, good word. So like mm-hmm. if you send him check-ins and he doesn't really say much, it's good. Mm-hmm. basically if he says something then you probably did something you're not doing something right so for mm-hmm. a long time he's not somebody who gives you as as much feedback basically mm-hmm. and so i had to learn how to like which was good for me. it was hard for me but it, i think it was good for me because i had to learn how to rely on my own feedback a little mm-hmm. bit and rely on knowing that i i was following i i was doing my best and i was following the work so so I, the only expectations that I really needed to have was that if I was doing my best job, then my physique would reflect that mm-hmm. and nothing else mattered. Like I didn't need to worry about anything else. Yeah. And I think that's really important too, is that you really need to trust your coach. Right. So like yeah. a lot of people are like, well, I'm not lean enough here and I'm not this, I'm not that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. It's like, okay, well, do you trust your coach? Do you trust the process? Cause if you do, then follow, follow directions and keep going. Yeah. Like that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter how you look. We're not, that's, you're not at your final stage. Yeah. So don't, don't get caught up on that. Um, 
so anyways, and then I, yeah, I got into, I competed for two years pretty heavily. I did got first place both times regionally. Um, and then on USA's I competed twice and I got sixth place ironically both times. And, um, back then I was disappointed about it. Um, now knowing what I know and looking at my physique, then I'm like, I, I just didn't have the muscle maturity and I didn't have the size, mm-hmm. um, partly cause I decided to, to compete naturally and competing naturally in the NPC is kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just, no, it just takes that. more. Yeah. It just takes more time basically. Mm-hmm. Like now I feel like I could get on a stage on the NPC stage and n- my size is not a problem. You mean fly on the stage? I've seen those wings. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely grown a lot since I've been on stage because I was on stage last time about 114 pounds wow. and I sit, sit around 150. Wow. Yeah. Chilling, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, um, so that was kind of that. And then um, I saw kind of one of your questions of if anybody had challenged me or said no to my fitness. And that was actually my ex-husband. Oh, Okay. He did not like my bodybuilding at all. And he did not like <clears throat> me weightlifting, um, to be honest with you. He did not like my size. Um, and it came down and like when he would come to my shows, he was always mad the whole time. And then, you know, it came down to the point where he was like, I literally just I don't find you attractive anymore because you're too muscular, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me, it made my show experience a little bit negative. Um, but it also required me to be more steadfast in what I wanted. Yeah. Because it was kind of almost like a, an ultimatum of, Hey, you quit doing what you're doing or like, I don't really want to be with you kind of sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it definitely gives an idea of the, where your personal basics of traction are compatible or not does that make sense like i think we have to go into a relationship knowing that people are going to change for whatever reason because it it, it's part of progress and it's part of uh people's paths like it's it's not going to be straight so if someone's getting into a relationship with you and their expectation is that you're gonna you're gonna walk this straight line that they've already assumed you're gonna do and then you detour then are they willing enough to accept that? Are they willing enough to expect ex- accept you as a human and know that your potential may lie completely outside of where you're at right now and accepting people as they grow and having core core values that um, about a human and about attraction that aren't so biased, maybe. And you know, based, that's why we always have to s- seek out attraction beyond the physical stature. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's based around, um, in emotional values and mental values and physical values and all these things together, like even spiritual values, um, political, eh, I don't know if I can really agree with that one, but I think it makes sense to know somebody deeper than just their physicality. And maybe that's why we shouldn't be getting married at 18. I don't know, uh, personal opinion, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's tough because you know, that you were changing for yourself and then all of a sudden somebody is not okay with that that was supposed to love you for everything that you are right yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, that was a battle for me and it, it's, um, it's still kind of a battle as far as like my security is yeah. being, uh, a muscular female. Cause not yeah. everybody likes that. And that's fine. Like, honestly, that really doesn't bother me anymore as far as like everybody likes something a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Um, what was that? What was that feedback like? Because obviously I know a bunch of women that are into the sports and they constantly get it. And I can't imagine what the fuck that's like for you guys, honestly. Uh, how did that hit you? I guess I, I'm getting a little deep here, but I mean, I'm curious. Uh, how how's that hit you? Or then at least. Especially then it made me really insecure because it made me feel like everybody felt that way and he kind of made yeah. me feel like everybody felt that way like you made a story up about it kind of, yeah it yeah. was just like well you know like nobody fucking likes girls that are you know have you know shoulders that are the size of their fucking head you know <laughs> yeah i and so uh it, it, i don't know it's really hard and i you know and my grandma was the same way a lot of my family i haven't my family is super old school. And so like, I remember I go to family functions and my grandma was like, you're never going to find another man. If you look like that sort of deal. And yeah, I've had people, you know, say things on the street, you know, at grocery stores, things like that. And I'm uh, for a long time, I would just cover up when I went out. So like, I just would wear like baggier shirts or like basically things that, made it less obvious how muscular I was um, because I just didn't really want that conversation to come up basically. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, sometimes it pisses me off, but it, it, this, at this point in my life and um, of what I've learned, you know, obviously we kind of know that it's a lot more of a reflection of how they feel about themselves. So what's happened is I have triggered some sort of insecurity that they have when they look at me, you know, and I don't have to feel bad about that. You know, I try not to feel bad that, you know, what I like is not what they like, basically. Mm -hmm. No, I, I mean, I think it's, I think the, the ideal of what the expectation that, that women are supposed to be this, this certain particular thing physically is, uh, it, it's very closed-minded and it's very immature. And I think it comes out in a lot of men. And I think it's it, it's something that we're trying to to mold into something new based off of what we historically know about ourselves. And I think, you know, the the new age of all of this, all these connections between us and, you know, we're helping each other with studies and we're helping each other with perspective and everything. But the hard part about it is it, it, it's not, so majorly pushed on men or it's 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 more in the background than it, for men than I think it is women like if if somebody at my age of 34 if somebody was constantly telling me hey you're super unattractive because you're only five foot tall you know if I was constantly getting barrage you know calling being called a hobbit or you know midget or something like that I'd probably be fucking annoyed obviously nobody like people have picked on me but it's not like I get up that on the street like women would get this thing about them looking manly you know or if it, what if it was women too what if uh what if women were out there you know just harping on men and for for sake of me 
or, you know, not being able to think of anything else. What if women could see your dick and they're like, huh, that's super unattractive and that's never going to be any good. Never, no one's ever going to love you because of how small your dick is. A little vulgar, but uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like take the most insecure things that men have and harp on them about that, you know? And even if, if it's the opposite, you know, guys that were, were genetically skinny. And I'm, I'm sure you understand that genetics can hinder you and they can also help you. Right. And if there's guys that are legitimately skinny and we have this primitive view that, uh, men are only supposed to be bigger and better than women to, for, you know, security and safety. Well, what about the guys that genetically aren't built like that, you know, or don't even want to look like that? What if they are runners? Maybe what if that's their lifestyle? What if that's their livelihood? Maybe they're professional in some sort of sport. And I don't think it's ever going to be quite as relatable, but, I'd really like men to think about that. Like, look at that perspective. Like, what if somebody treated you like that? And maybe that's where men are more emotionally disconnected, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough thing to go through. So now that we're done with my rant, um, so so you get into bodybuilding um, and what happens after this? Because I know you moved into something else too, right? Yeah, so I, um, after I left, uh, my relationship, I, um, was spending a lot of time at our local berserker, you know, where mm-hmm. a lot of strongman competitors are. And Alex was always on me. He was like, I want to train you for strongman. <laughs> <laughs> he would watch me lift and he'd be like, please let me, please let me train you for strongman. Like you're so strong. And me being like, not in a good emotional place at the time. Yeah. And I wasn't planning on competing anytime soon. Cause you need to kind of be like, on top of your game. Um, I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. So, um, I competed in my very first strongman competition and it was so fun. I had (laughs) a fucking blast. And the first one I did, I did compete in my weight class, which was lightweight. And it was like 120, like 125 or under or something like that. I know small and, um, (laughs) I ended up getting second place, but the first place lady was a pro. So I didn't really feel that bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like right on her heels and she even came up to me after the competition and said, you would need this much to become a pro. Mm -hmm. And I, that made me feel really good. I was like, all right, cool. And I had only trained for like eight weeks. So Alex was like, dude, if we like just train you for like a little while, you could be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I trained for my second competition, which I started to get really crazy strong at. And, in, in, and it was actually disappointing because when I saw the roster, one of the um, events was... 150 pound log press and uh they and so i practiced and i practiced and i practiced because that was kind of hard for me um and i wanted to make sure that i nailed it and i freaking nailed it mm-hmm. over and over again and practiced with alex and then they took it off of oh the god because none of the other girls could do it <laughs> i was like <laughs> well i can do it um, but anyways, so they ended up doing 135 for reps, which, you know, I obviously won that because I had been practicing with 150 pounds. Um, 
And in that competition, I competed with not my class. Um, and I was more weight at the time. I weighed about 140 pounds and there was no metal weights. So they had me compete with the heavyweights and that was 175 plus. And I still took first place. Boom. I won every single event except for the stones. And that was just because of height. <laughs> I have a height disability. Because <laughs> that, that bar has to be set at a certain a certain height, right? Yeah, it goes. So like you do the stone and then they raise it and then you have to get the stone over and then they raise it and then mm -hmm. you just, until it gets up higher. And the lady who beat me was over six feet tall. And I was like, well, I'm- Oh, like, Jesus. I'm 4'11", dude. So it's just not going to happen. <laughs> like I can't even reach that high. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about limitations, that's that's probably <laughs> the extreme right there. Like, yeah. Right. Unless you have to- <laughs> press it above your, you know, with your shoulders. That's, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got one, like I got one over, uh, the bar was a little bit over my head and I had gotten it up and over that one, but any farther than that, it was kind of like, eh, mm -hmm. I'm done. Not to mention with strongman, it's a lot of endurance because you're doing the stone and then they're raising and then you do it again. And the stone's 180 pounds. So it's not like yeah. it's light. Yes. You know, and then you do it again. And so at, at some point, you know, especially when it's getting that high and that sketchy, like in my mind, I had already won all the event, other events and I was like, I ain't risking it. You know, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not worth an injury. Right. Yeah. So anyways, um, after that competition, I started going hard in strongman and I was going to chase, um, you know, a national title in that. Um, then my back injury happened in G uh, March of 2021. And it's funny how it didn't happen. Like me doing anything cool. <laughs> I <laughs> like, I, I like, how'd you injure your back? You're, and I'm like telling him, yeah, I deadlifting, you know, this much and I'm carrying 180 pound stones and they just expect that that's the situation. But no, I was actually, I was actually here in the gym here and I was, um, warming up on squats and I had done the bar, you know, just, just the bar. And I had thrown my 25s on and I got under the bar. And as soon as I unracked it, I felt this weird, just pain in my back. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird, you know, and I started to go down and I was like, this is not going to go well. So I re-racked re it and I kind of shook it off, gave myself a couple minutes. And then I tried to get back under the bar and it was not going to happen. It was gotcha. just not going to happen. Um, so I said, okay, cool. We're not working out today. Um, and then I had a client after that. And by the end of my client's appointment, I could not stand or get off the floor. And did you know something, like, have a good idea of what was going on? I, no, I, I had never had any back pain. I, mm -hmm. no, I, yeah. cause I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And I wasn't even going to go to the doctor. My stepsister showed up here. Cause I was like, Hey, like I kind of told her what happened and she showed up here and was like, okay, well you need to go to the doctor. And I was like, no, it's fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> She's like, no, she's Typical like, athlete. You can't even stand up by yourself. And I was like, okay, well, all right, fine. <laughs> I'll sleep it off. It's fine and whatever. Um, I was like, I can just take some ibuprofen like I did for my hip. But <laughs> anyway, um, I went to um, Doc Orthopedics and they were like, oh, you probably have like a, a bulging disc or something. Like, we'll give you some steroids. You'll be fine. 
And I will tell you, by the time I had gone to the doctor, I was really into a state of mind of this is something is really wrong. Um, So I told them, I said, hey, I think I need some sort of scan. And they were like, well, we don't have an MRI here, so I can give you an x-ray. And I said, please. So they gave me an x-ray. And I knew the moment that the lady asked the doctor, she left for a second, and then the doctor asked for more scans that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then the doctor came back after I was done and he's like, yeah, so I'm pretty glad that we did an x-ray today because it looks like that your low back is fractured on both sides. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, just in shock. I Mm -hmm. in shock. So basically L5 to S1. So where your spine connects into your sacrum. So like into your pelvic bone, there's those two little spine pieces that kind of go like this as you move Mm because they're flexible. Both of those had broken off. Oh, Jesus. Broken. And my spine had shifted three millimeters forward. So, um, I, yeah, I was super devastated and I, the funny thing is they weren't like super big on giving me pain meds. And so I was like, that's fine or whatever. And then I went home and I literally, and I'm not even joking you, I passed out onto the floor three times from the pain before they took me into the ER and like doped me up basically. Wow. Um, Wow. And so, yeah. And then I slept on a recliner for four months because I was not allowed to lay flat on my back because it was too much pressure. Um, I basically was on a ton of pain meds at the time. I tried to do everything that I could. I did hyperbaric. I did hyperbarics. I did PMS mat. I came here occasionally and they would help me in and out of like the pain light and stuff. Cause sometimes I just needed to get out of the house. You know, obviously I couldn't drive or anything, but I'd get somebody to take me to do stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But I basically lived out of a chair for about four months. <laughs> um, and uh, that's life changing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, kind of feeling like you're we're getting to the, the peak of your fitness and strength and everything. And then have it all just kind of be swiped out from under you is... Yeah. It's something. Um, I definitely struggled a lot with my mental health, with my just security in anything anymore because I didn't, my future wasn't secure anymore because literally all the way through, you know, so here's, here's, here's what's, you know, annoying and scary because obviously the doctors have to like check you every so often. So I'd go in once a month for them to check my legs and because the complication of harsh fractures is that is paraplegia. I was going to say probably potential so, of being paraplegic. Yeah. So for me, I was just at all times just scared. So like I never slept because every time I would like fall asleep, 
I'd wake up in a panic and try to see mm-hmm. if like I could feel my legs, you know, like mm-hmm. are my legs still working? Like, am I, am I fine? Cause they would always tell me if you start feeling numbness going into like your glutes and then into your legs, you need to go to the ER. I'm like, okay, great. Like, that's awesome. Like, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, <Nice>. like <laughs> that's tough to handle. Well, and, and because you identify, like, this is you, this is what you surrounded your life with is, is yeah. fitness and athletics and, and nutrition and, and all this stuff. This is how you identify. And then it's just completely pulled out from under you, not just because it's going to affect your work with people and everything, but it's going to affect you personally on what you're capable of as a human when you've reached like this peak that's like being on top of Mount Olympus, I guess, maybe, you know, <laughs> you're like, like it, that's a hard spot to be in when you're completely have that taken out from under you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I won't, I won't lie. I had a hard time like being on social media, watching people lift for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't like it. You know, I just, because I was unsure of my future with lifting, um, mm-hmm. particularly even ever lifting heavy. And so like, I just kind of had to like, I tried to not see what other people were doing. Cause that was mm-hmm. really hard for me. Um, and I also tried to prepare myself to have the relationship with going through this recovery really slowly. Um, because I, it seems like you've been really patient. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From an outside view, at least (laughs) I have definitely, like I said, I have become the Buddha because I have had to be the most patient person I feel like in the entire universe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also, it's, it's, I'm, I tell people all the time, literally the fear of losing your legs is a pretty good motivation, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I basically had one choice or the other, you know, Mm -hmm. either I, I moved forward or there was some unsure of whether or not I'd ever be able to do what I loved again. And so in order to preserve what I love and what I do, it required me to get a hell of a, you know, handle on my mental health, at least to some degree. Um, And that was the other thing that was hard is because I've always used the gym as my, my high, my mental health, you know, helper. Mm -hmm. Like this is, you know, I have a bad day. Let's go to the gym and like, just pump it out. And I feel better. And so not being, not having that required me to create a new relationship with that and also like create new things that would give me that self like soothing, mm-hmm. you know, satisfaction and without having to go to the gym. So I started meditating. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was, that's what I was, I was just going to ask, like, what did you go to? Um, I started reading more. I started meditating a lot for a while. I, I meditated and listened to like, um, there was a, a, a kind of like a series called, um, uh, shoot, uh, modern, mo- modern stoicism. Okay. And oh, I listened. Are you a fan of stoicism? Yes. yes oh, okay. <laughs> Big fan of philosophy big fan of philosophy um i'm kind of a i'm kind of like a a uh, art history nerd 
too. So gotcha. like that kind of ties into like some of the Greek mythology and mm-hmm. Roman mythology as well. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, so I'm a big fan of that. So I kind of distracted myself with wisdom. You know, I was going to be fantastic. I was going to become the Buddha uh, because that's what was required of me. Um, so I did that. And, you know, I had a lot of people that I vented to. I have a hard time with um, when I'm when I'm silent. Usually I'm struggling, you know. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes my friends would try and get me to like you know, talk to them basically. Cause I didn't want to talk to you because like, here's the thing. <clears throat> it's hard for people to process that kind of trauma, other people. Yes. So when people, you know, they, they, they want to help special you. souls to be able to take on what you're telling them without brushing it off or deflecting. Yes. And I learned that that was a good lesson that I learned from this too, is because I would have certain people that I would be able to talk to. And then I would have other people that, I could tell, like, for example, like, like they would check on me for the first couple of weeks. And like, then when I wasn't getting better, they definitely didn't want to talk to me anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they just, you know, it, it's hard. They don't want to, they nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to, you know, have to process that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I um, kind of dealt with that a little bit. The other thing that I did was I, um, when I was feeling better because I couldn't really sit in a chair for very long. Um, but when I was feeling a little better, I started gaming pretty hardcore again. Um, I am a gamer and I have a lot of friends that game. So I delved into that and got better at that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, well, but so, you have to you have to fill it with something, right? And 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 I think that's part the part where people will fall into a pit of despair when they've taken having something taken that's so healthy for them, but haven't found a well, way to replace it, maybe. And it sounds like you at least found things that took place that if your physicality was out of balance, at least your mental and emotional state could take on some challenge in order for you to compensate and and to be somewhat healthy at this point being able to handle all this stuff yeah 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 and of course it was up and down i'm, I'm not gonna lie i spent a lot of time in bed feeling sorry for myself yeah. and crying and you know feeling hopeless um there was plenty plenty of days like that that's for sure um that was probably the majority of it but at the end of the day i kind of had to make a choice you know i had to make the choice of either i was gonna just buck up and make it through this and come out better or I was going to let it eat me alive Mm -hmm. because it could have easily eaten me alive Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, Uh, I think that does happen to some people, you know, for lack of support or or whatever other reasons Uh, and like props for, for getting through that because that's, that's not easy. And so many people don't get to see what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't share a lot of that because I don't, one of the things that I've always wanted is I've had kind of, I've always had a a not so great situation in my life. Um, I always been gone through a lot of things and I never really wanted the credit for my success to ever be like, she was successful in spite of this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to keep people to see me as she is successful. End of story. I didn't really want it to always just be about 
what I overcame, even though I've overcame a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted people to also just see me as just an athlete and successful in general, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's, it's very respectable to see when people have gone through shit like this and they come back from it. You know, it's, it's, well, it's this weird underdog story almost like we see people endure and it gives us relativity and it gives us uh personability, I guess. And like the, the ability to believe in ourselves. I think that's why we like stories like that. Well, and it's funny you say that. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast is because um, I have told, you know, select few people, my story, some of my in-depth mm-hmm. story. And they're always like, you need to share this. Like you need to share this. And, you know, like I said, I've always had that like insecurity of like putting myself that far out there. But it's funny that especially since I've been going through this back injury and people watching me come back from it the way that I have, I've literally had people reach out to me and be like, I didn't feel comfortable reaching out to you until I knew that you struggled for what you had. Because they like see me on this pedestal like I'm this fucking massive, you know, Mm -hmm. buff chick and they don't know what it took for me to get there. And so Mm -hmm. like I actually had a conversation in this room with a client that was pretty life-changing at one point. And she told me, I don't, I wouldn't have reached out if I hadn't been able to relate to you on the fact that you've been through so much and yet you still overcame that. Mm-hmm. No, I think that maybe it's, maybe it's just instinctive for all of us. Uh, but all of us kind of have this idea of being a hero in whatever realm or element that, you know, feels great to us. And I think, the hard lesson is learning that the hero doesn't is it cannot be created without the struggle, without the challenge, you know, without the, you know, falling into the pit 10 fucking times. Um, and you know, it almost like it looking hopeless and, uh, no, I think what you've done is, is fantastic. I think that, um, the, the resiliency that you've shown is, is epic. Um, not everybody has injuries like this. Not everybody has, um, such a, uh, a broad spectrum of experience, you know, and uh, yeah, you should be crazy proud of what you've, what you've endured because most people don't have to go through physical things like this in this type of uh, element or, or environment where this is who you are like this physical fitness and athleticism is who you are. And I think that's one of the hardest things to lose whatever it is that you're tied to is losing the thing that you are the most and not being able to do it. Now, I, this is fantastic. I appreciate that. I do try and give myself credit uh, sometimes <laughs> about it. Cause you know, I would have conversations like with Nick and stuff and I'd be like, I told him I will come out on top. I promise you I'll come out on top. And I just kept saying that to people because, you know, partly trying to convince myself that, um, and I think, you know, I think that's what I've been doing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's given me an appreciation for where I had gotten, um, mm-hmm. and an appreciation for m- my athleticism and the, the ability to move the way mm-hmm. that I can, because quite frankly, a lot of that's taken for granted. And then as soon as it's taken away, it's like, it, it, you have a whole new relationship with it you know Mm -hmm. and my relationship with the gym has also changed as far as it not just being not just being my place 
for mental health and emotion and things like that. But it's become a greater place of growth for me, knowing that I'm able to be in there patiently doing my stupid band exercises that I hate having people (laughs) see me be like massively buff lifting less than five pounds, you know, and not caring about that, Mm -hmm. knowing that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in order for me to have a greater goal, a longer term goal. Um, And it has also increased my awareness and my, um, my knowledge towards longevity of Mm -hmm. keeping this because someday I will most likely have to have a spine spinal fusion because my spine will likely continue to shift a little bit over time. And so my job as an athlete and as somebody who wants to move the way that I want to for the rest of my life is that I do the things every day that is required for me to continue to have the longevity in what I love to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, Dude, I can barely, I can't even say no to a brownie if it's in front of my face. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to eat it and uh, I'm going to deal with the consequences. But uh, no, it, it's it's so fucking powerful when you're able to see, to know that process and patience and being present is such a huge element of you getting to where you want to be so much farther in life you know, holding off or completely obliterating the idea that you might have to have a spinal fusion, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's a crazy fucking power in that because we're, we're so adapted to looking towards the future and, you know, wanting to be our best. And I think the weird paradox is making sure that we're present and paying attention to the process and being, you know, being patient enough to almost enjoy what it takes to get there. You know what I mean? Well, and I've gotten the opportunity to fix some of my other problems. Like I've had shoulder injuries for a long time. You know, I've beaten my body down over the years. And what I've been doing is now that I have to slow down, it's a really good opportunity for me to make sure that everything works better than it did before by the time I'm able to lift that I want the way that I want to. Mm -hmm. So taking every... I mean, you know your story obviously better than me. So I, what I, what I'm curious about is there's a lot of people out there that are afraid um, of, of physical tasks and athleticism. And it, it's weird now for me, at least, because I've been in it for so long. It's never, there's things that make me nervous about athletics, but I've been lifting weights since I was 14. And the weird part is knowing that there's people out there that are super scared of this shit and they hear stories like yours, you know, and they, they use it as an excuse to not do hard things. Right. And you're also a trainer. So, so what do you, what would you tell people or what do you tell people? What do you even tell the people that you train or you're potentially going to train when it comes to stuff like this and enduring so much? And how do you get people to, to know how healthy it is to move? Um, it's a big question. <laughs> It is a big question. I'm a nerd. So I think most of my clients 
thrive off of my education that I give them. Yeah. So usually I'm able to squash a lot of their worries literally by explaining it to them. Mm -hmm. Like, this is how this works. This is how you get hurt. And this is how you don't get hurt, you know? Um, But also teaching people, properly teaching people how to um, progress. Because the problem is with most people is their idea of exercise, in my opinion, is pretty linear. They're like, yes, their idea of lifting weights is pretty like their scope is so small, so small. And like, for for example, I got certified to work with the MS Association in 2018. And I started uh, the multiple sclerosis uh, association. And so I was working with clients with multiple sclerosis. And obviously those types of clients have a lot of limitations. Yes. And multiple sclerosis can be bad. So um, from anything from them having to be in a wheelchair at all times Mm -hmm. to some of them, they, they can walk, but they have a little bit of what we call drop foot, which means that their foot has a hard time uh, uh, communicating with their brain to lift, lift up off the ground. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of these clients are told by their doctors, you can't ever do this. You'll never do this, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so they came, you know, a lot of them came to me super discouraged, like not so sure about exercising. Um, Maybe almost scared out of it. Oh yeah. And so I always start those people like really slow obviously, even if they're not like a multiple sclerosis client, but if somebody's scared, we go slow, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, just slowly introduce them. I'm not trying to kill them. You know, I'm not trying to be like, Oh, well, I'll give you the hardest workout possible. So you know how that feels. You know, some people are going to like that, but m- most people aren't. And if they're coming into it, feeling that way, that's not, that, that's not the best route, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would take what they would consider to be their limitations and I would show them how it's not a limitation. So whether that be like for some of my multiple sclerosis clients, they're like, well, I can't even stand up out of a chair without support. Okay. All right. Let's practice, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would hold their hand and I would let them stand up and sit out, sit down in a chair. And then slowly I would back away, let them do a couple reps in and out, in and out. And then, and then now I'm like, Oh, now you're doing it by yourself. Now you're doing it by yourself. You know, not what do you, you know what I'm saying? You know, show what, take what they're, you know, I take a lot of times what them they're fearful of and I'll fix that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you can convince them, you can create a relationship with them right off the bat where you can convince them that they're, their current beliefs are not necessarily correct and you yeah. can kind of change them and show them that physically a lot of times they'll they'll start to they'll start to listen you know mm-hmm. um gain confidence gain belief yeah mm-hmm. i remember one of my clients uh my other clients i loved her she um she just wanted to walk at one at comic-con without a wheelchair because she wanted to take pictures without a walker or a wheelchair in the pictures. I said, hell yeah. You know? And so (laughs) we, uh, you know, we practiced and we practiced. And I remember, I remember the first time I put her on her leg press and she was terrified. She was like, Oh my God, my legs don't always work. And I said, don't worry. Someday you're going to be leg pressing more than your weight. And she just looked at me and she laughed 
um, about three and a half months later, two weeks right before her Comic-Con, put her on the light press and she was just killing it. And I was like, you know, I think you need more weight. And I just kept putting the weight on. I wasn't really telling her how much it weighed anymore. And uh, by the time she was done, she had leg pressed twice her weight. Wow. And she looked at me and she goes, I never thought in my entire life I would ever be capable of doing something like this. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I said, yeah. I was like, you have a lot more potential than you know. You know, and then here three weeks later, two weeks later, whatever it was, she went to Comic Con and she sent me all her pictures without her wheelchair, without her walker. And she was like, I can do things. I can do things. So no longer in her head was, I can't do this. I can't do that. It was, I can. Mm -hmm. So my, the way that I go about things with clients is that, or I'll give them my own example. I've made a thousand, 50,000 mistakes. I'll be like, Hey, I've done this and it messed up this, but this is how you fix it or whatever. I've used my guinea myself as a Guinea pig for long enough. And I've watched people work out for 10 years, you know, that, uh, it's pretty easy for me. And I'm a really big psychopath about form too. Like I'm a little crazy about that. So, um, I just make sure that they're comfortable. I teach them the the, the biggest thing with the, the biggest thing with clients a lot like, like that and nutrition is you just have to change their relationship with it. Mm-hmm. Change your relationship with exercise, change your relationship with working out. This is not a punishment, you know, figure out a way that they can enjoy it. That doesn't look the same for everybody. Figure out a way that they can enjoy their nutrition. That doesn't look the same for everybody, you know? And that's why I think having coaches and uh, an informed coach is important is because it, it, it isn't the same for everybody and it shouldn't be the same for everybody. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I just, you, you just got to change their brain to the, I can't to, I can, or take their worries and figure out a way to exemplify it to them and turn it into a confidence. So if, if we take that perspective and relate it to nutrition, because this is a big one and I don't know how tr- like it's the, the most cliche thing that gets thrown around. Hey, you know, health is, is 70% diet and 30%, you know, your, your physical, you know, uh, attribute. Um, what do you do about nutrition? Like, what do you tell people about nutrition? What are the things that we need to throw the way, throw away? Because you know, there's a bunch of bullshit out there, right? And, and how do you think that we should look at nutrition or what do you, what do you think that we're having the biggest struggle with? Uh, I think people's relationship with food's bad. A lot like, of it. I think that's a big problem. Um, and I also think that people tie um, so one of the things that I do with a lot of my clients is I don't really try and stress the way that they look a lot. I try to stress different metrics of success, whether that be ah. their mental health or lifting or whatever, because especially particularly with like females, but even males too, um, sometimes fixing their nutrition is actually hard because of the way that they see their body. Oh, Okay. You know, it's kind of like if you have a client who I'm reverse dieting and they're like, well, I feel fluffier now. Their instinct is that they want to eat less food, Mm -hmm. but that's not the right thing. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, so I try, I try to teach them the science behind it and try and also set, 
set expectations for them. Like, Hey, Mm -hmm. in the beginning, your metabolism, we're going to get it a little bit better. You might gain a little bit of weight. You might lose a little bit of weight depending on where you were at. You know, when I started with you, um, don't give them the expectation that we're going to lose weight, all your weight in four weeks, this, that, and the other. I don't, I do not preach big, uh, you know, quick fixes or anything like that. I think that setting reasonable expectations is really important. And I also think that every time I sit down with a nutrition client, I ask them what is reasonable for them. I don't say, Hey, I'm going to give you a meal plan. Hey, I'm going to give you macros. Hey, this is what's going to look like. Mm -hmm. I can give them a perfect plan, but if it's not reasonable and they don't like following it and they have a bad relationship with it, it's only temporary. It's not going to last very long. And then it also makes them have a bad relationship with food because you got all these people who are like, I have this meal plan for my coach and I hate it. And I hate what I eat every day. And I hate this and I hate that. What? Like, no, I, I hate that. You know, a lot of times when I, when I make a meal plan with a client, I will literally sit down with them and I'll say, Hey, what do you want to eat for breakfast? What do you want to eat for meal two? What do you want to eat? And I will, and I know enough about food that I can make it fit. I can make Mm -hmm. about what they want. Like somebody, Hey, I want to eat a sandwich. Okay. We'll make that work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's really, really, really important that you set reasonable expectations on what you are willing to follow for your nutrition. And that can differ on, on what your goals are too. Cause like, obviously if you're, you're, your adherence and the way you need to do nutrition is going to be hundred percent different. And you're trying to be a bodybuilder versus just a lifestyle client, mm-hmm. you know, I also try and, you know, stress them. That this is a lifestyle, meaning that this is how I would like you to eat as a guideline every day. But I also want you to enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? I think the all or nothing mindset is horrible. Yeah, absolutely horrible. Unless you're trying to get on stage or you're getting ready for a competition or whatever. It's not an all or nothing mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to go have a weekend where you, you know, spurge a little bit. Cool. Great. I don't care. Get back on, get back, get back on track on Monday. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Well, and it's, it's like, you have to include some sort of humanity to the formula, right? You yeah. have to, you have to include some positivity and some, and some, uh, experience to to what's going on and not also not everybody wants to be an athlete some people just want to be lifestylers yeah exactly like hey you want to eat ice cream every night you know i you know that's kind of a little bit of an extreme but like i'll be (laughs) like hey you want you want to eat a half a container of halo top every night cool i'll fit that in your macros i don't care damn if you if you want to like sounds like a day i'll take it ask people what is one thing that you would you want to eat during your day like what is there something that like you don't like you're gonna crave and you want me to include it in your plan because you're gonna want it like be mm-hmm. reasonable with yourself if you crave a piece of chocolate every night fuck let's put it in your plan yeah you shouldn't have to feel guilty about that there's no reason for that hell yeah you know um I, you know, I haven't, I did log my food religiously for almost three years. Um, but my goals were, you know, obviously being bodybuilding. I haven't logged my food in like two years now, mm-hmm. but I'm able to maintain the physique that I have because I learned how to eat lifestyle. I know what I can get away with. I know what I can't get away with. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I know how to eat pretty reasonably. I know how to roughly get 20, 30 grams of protein per meal. I know how to get roughly, you know, 40 to 60 carbs per meal. I know, you know, I know all you got to do is apply it, you know, and that's, and that's kind of how I also have attributed, you know, my success in not yo-yoing a lot is that I don't restrict myself that much. Mm -hmm. You know, I will eat what I want to eat. I just will offset it with what need it needs to offset with. I'm going to have mm-hmm. a, if I'm going to eat a whole entire pizza in a day, I should have you know, like a healthier breakfast and like maybe supplement a protein shake or two, make mm-hmm. sure I get my protein. in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, totally. Cool. Like other than that, I'm not too worried about it. You know, I, if I feel like I'm going overboard, reel it in. Mm-hmm. My client's like, Hey, I'm getting away. I'm going reel it in. Don't feel guilty. That's the other thing. People mm-hmm. will sit there and be like, well, I ate this and this and I messed up and I gained weight. All right, cool. But I, tomorrow's a new day. It doesn't mean that you can't also shed it back off. Yeah, it, it'll come back off. Well, first of all, it's not permanent. If you mess up for one or two days, you got water weight. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but it takes 3,500 calories for you to gain a whole pound. Unless if you ate it a, a whole 3,500 extra calories, then you actually burn that day. You definitely didn't gain a whole pound. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I might be guilty of trying to do that. <laughs> it happens sometimes. I mean, I've been there about that. But, but you know, generally speaking, You're either that happy or that depressed. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or had that many beers. Um, but, but um, yeah, I mean, it happens. But in the general rule is you didn't actually put any weight on. You just, mm-hmm. you look a little different. So I try to try not to. I try to convince my clients to not tie their success fully to their, the way that they look day to day, because that also shifts, you know, with, with stress and what, you know, how much sleep yeah. you got and, yeah. you know, and then people just freak out. And like, I know a lot of people who, you know, they'll look heavier one day, so they'll, they won't need as much the next day. Mm-hmm. That, that's just not, that's just not how it works. You know, the, yeah. the reason why we want to, the reason why, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. The reason why you want to eat, you know, every few hours is not necessarily to quote unquote, speed up your metabolism. Okay. It's actually to keep your insulin levels steady. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, because spikes and drops <clears throat> in your insulin levels, <clears throat> that's what creates weight, weight gain. That also creates, that also creates insulin sensitivity, which means that you became more sensitive to insulin, which means that when you take in a bunch of carbs, your body freaks out and like, doesn't necessarily use it. It'll store it. So like you want to keep a stable, your insulin level stable. That's, that's why like when I do meal plans, I, I generally, you will see that your carbs per meal besides like your pre and post workout meal, they're probably going to be pretty similar, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that, and that's for that reason. And it, it, I mean, this kind of goes back to what you were preaching in the beginning was getting away from the idea that this progress is linear. It's oh, yeah. at this point, I don't know. I don't know what is specifically linear maybe k through 12 education you know <laughs> but you know where that you are where you have marks but i definitely have experienced that in all the years that i've been lifting is my body's changed a bunch uh my strength has changed a bunch my mindset has changed a bunch bunched uh my metabolism's changed a bunch like it's it's always been a constant up and down and i've looked at 
particular uh, goals that make me happy, I know that I'm not going to eat perfect every day, especially as a powerlifter, because I have this basic excuse that I, I'm allowed to be fat. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I know that if I, if I tr- try to focus on the, on the positive. Send me a message. Once again. Um, just send me a message with the code again. Oh, sorry. And you know Mr. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll lock you in. Actually, you'll have to do that if you want to talk. Okay. Sorry about that. Good. I'm sorry. What was your last question? Well, so I, I think I was just stating my, my opinion on it, you know, and it, it's, if I maintain, it, it kind of sounds like what you're saying is making sure that people are not focusing on the insecurities, their insecurities and the, and the bad, the bad things and getting them to focus more on what they can control and, and, you know, what they are after. So if I don't beat myself up, if I eat a little bit of bad food, because I know my, my, my focus is eating as much whole food as possible, because that makes me feel like I'm doing the best that I can for my body is coming back to eating as whole, as much whole food as possible. So if I get off track, it's not a big deal. If I, um, you know, miss a meal or whatever, it's not a big deal because my focus has always been, okay, back to whole food, back to whole food, because that makes sense to me the most about me having the, the best nutrition I can without actually hiring somebody like you to, to be a nutrition coach, you know, and especially right. when I'm off season, you know, it's, it's, I know that I've done it long enough that my basic goal, foundational goal is to eat as much whole food as possible, but that doesn't mean everything has to be that or else I'd freak the fuck out and I'd never be able to enjoy simple foods that are awesome when you go out to dinner or, you know, whatever, you know, right. Yeah. And I, and that's what I encourage with clients. And that's also why I set other goals besides physique goals Mm -hmm. and food goals, because when they're hyper-focused on just those two things, if one of those things gets messed up, Mm. it'll derail them sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, your body is going to fluctuate. I mean, it is, it's, you know, there'll there'll be times where you're going to be a little bit leaner and there's going to be times where you're going to be a little bit fluffier, you know, because you're in a strength phase or whatever, and you need more food and you're doing less cardio. And I think, you know, um, having a good grasp, setting that expectation, but also having a good grasp of that's what's going to happen, but also making sure that there's other ways to determine your success, because let's be honest, most people stay in it and stay motivated based off of progress. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to find other metrics of progress to measure, you know, obviously as a powerlifting athlete for you, a lot of times that's going to be like the weight that you're lifting, you know, sometimes for my clients, you know, I'll give them homework of, you know, Hey, how did you do this week? Why did this, this, and this, but I was derailed because of, you know, stress. So I will literally give homework for people that requires being able to to kind of shut the mind off and Mm -hmm. get better mental health. Because I know that ultimately in the, in the grand scheme of things, that's going to make their food and their physique better because Mm -hmm. I, I mean, what's going on in your head really controls everything. So I'll give them those types of goals or I'll give them flexibility goals or I'll give them um, 
you know, and obviously we do, um, we'll do like metric goals off of their watches or, or um, I've used um, heart rate zone uh, measurements so I can see, you know, what uh, we can decrease their resting heart rate. We can look at what their food and their insulin sensitivity is when they get their blood work done. Like I just try and give them different goals to focus on because I have noticed that when I do that in the long run, it all comes full circle. Right. Mm -hmm. And then now all of a sudden their physique and their food is better because they were doing that passively, not, not overthinking it, not being crazy psycho about it. They're passively working. And now all of a sudden they're a month later, like, Oh man, I've lost a percent body fat. And man, I, I'm lifting, you know, 20 pounds more on this and 50 pounds more on that. And I'm like, gotcha. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, Hold ya. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because otherwise, you know, they'll come into the gym and like, why well, didn't increase my weights today? Or, you know, my weight didn't come down this week, you know? And, and for me, you know, that's really not that important. And then, and then as soon as your client starts stressing about their goals, now you got cortisol levels that are ruining everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're like, I don't really want you to be stressed. Right. Yeah. So um, for me, I really, really, really try and get people to incorporate all of the modalities. And that's why I've actually brought a lot of my clients here. Um, sometimes I'll use that as the, kind of an incentive for them. Hey, you hit some sort of goal. Let's go into the massage chairs. Let's go get you a cocoon session. Let's bring you in the salt room so you can relax. Let's go get a tan, like whatever you want to do here. I'll bring them in here, have a float, you know, Hey, you're having a hard time sleeping. Let's, let's get you in a couple of floats. See if we can get your sleep back on track. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, I really tried to get my clients to encompass the entirety of fitness rather than people having that narrow mind of, you know, lift weights, get on the carding machine, lift weights, get on the carding machine. Oh, I missed a workout. I'm bad. Oh, I gained like there's, it's such a linear thought in most people's brain. And I try to, I I just try to give them a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Like I think the perspective that online gives us and social media gives us and this, that, and the other, it creates blocks for people more than anything. (laughs) Fucking totally. So I try to take person to person and kind of when I sit down and talk to them in their consultation, I really try and figure out what their blocks are. Mm-hmm. And, and once I figure out what their blocks are and then we, we fix that, you know, we take your blocks away and we, and then that's when your potential comes out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it seems like your overall, I think this is the first that I've kind of heard like this overall encompassing balance of, of what health actually is, which is almost crazy because I just know you as this little fucking animal, you know? Um, and, and you know how to build the body, but I've enjoyed this conversation because it's, it's, it's your storytelling has just shown so much more, you know? And I think that's my biggest takeaway from this is like, there's, there's so much more to this shit. Um, and so if there were if there were a message that you wanted everybody to hear 
from, you know, based off of what we were talking about today? Like, what's the biggest thing that you think you, you want to give everybody? I think the greatest thing that people don't ever understand is that their potential is a lot more than that they think and that they need to, and, and to unlock that, they need to have serious, honest conversations with themselves about what's holding them back and get tired of their shit. I mean, at the end of the day, you're the only one, you know, I can give you all of the best tools, but you are the only one at the end of the day who can be tired enough of your own shit to mm-hmm. change that. And that requires self-reflection in whatever way that works for you. And it requires you to day in and day out, believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the most important thing that people need to do is to believe in themselves, understand that other people are struggling and understand that their potential is the sky is the fucking limit. Fuck. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. And, um, it's, it's, it's almost difficult, but once you kind of experience a little bit of it, you start to understand what that really means. And, and, you know, maybe people just need to reach out just a little bit, put them, put themselves on, on the edge just a little bit and maybe get an idea of what that fucking means, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I attribute people are like, Oh, you look so crazy. You're so huge. You're so strong. And part of that was me being the hardcore fitness person day in, day out, only cared about the, the training and the food. But ultimately, the reason why I've been able to maintain it for so long is because I decided to incorporate the other things. The reason why people burn out is because they don't they don't do the other things. They don't fix the mental health. They don't fix all of the other things that make your training and your nutrition what it really should be. And a big one's probably stress, right? Oh, yeah. Fucking hey, yeah. And that's a hard one. And that looks different for everybody to change that. But it's super, super important. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, So, Jen, where does everybody find you? Where can they find uh, all the things about your training, about uh, your expertise, um, about your story? Where can everybody find you? Um, so I have an Instagram called Jen D's fix. So just my first last name with, uh, so Jen J E N N D's and then fit. And then I do have a TikTok also, um, that's J E N N N then D E E Z. Yes. D's nuts. I've heard (laughs) it. I'm fine with it. Don't worry about it. Um, and then I also have started a, I started my own um, spot in the Trainerize app. So I do have an app that I run my clients through now. Um, and I will give you the link for that. Um, so you can share that with everybody. Perfect. Well, I'm going to make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes. So it's very easily and accessible for everybody. Um Beyond that, Jen, thank you so much for for being on this episode. It was fantastic. Your story was was amazing, and I feel like 
it's super inspiring. And it, it also tells me I need to kick my own ass a little bit more because, because cause relatively I'm like, man, I need to step up my game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, thank you for being here. It's been, it's been fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to tell you guys all my, all my story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, everybody's going to love it. Um, for everybody out there, stay strong, stay relevant-minded. This is your host, Zach. Hey guys, I hope that all things we've brought here, including the people, have helped you change the way that you see the world. And if it has, then it would help us so much if you leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or give any feedback wherever you listen to the RMP. Thank you for listening in, and don't forget to follow and subscribe. Question everything, my friends.